we, what a great day to worship the Lord, the Lord's day to gather together for His glory, for His fame and His honor. It's wonderful to think about worship in different ways and, and talk about worship in different ways. I found that in the preaching through this worship sermon series that oftentimes it, it seems like I, I talk about worship, but you've got to go through other things. You've got to talk about other things to arrive at worship, uh, the different means and mechanisms of, of worship. What does it mean to worship? Uh, we, uh, we have our kids sp- scattered out different places uh, around the country, and uh, Luis and Katie are in Wisconsin. They're in a Bible college. They're in a mission training school, and it's really, really been funny to, you know, that now that we're old, we get to live vicariously through them, you know, kind of deal and hear their stories and hear how, what they're doing, and, and they, it turns out they, they found jobs working in a custard shop in, in, outside of Milwaukee, and it's just hilarious to think about them scooping custard. <laughs> But they, they said, you know, it's, I, it's like this brainless job, this thing that we just scoop custard in between classes. It pays the bills kind of a deal for, the, for a season. But Luis said, man, it's so awesome because I didn't think we were going to do anything there. I didn't think there would be any worship there. I didn't think there would be anything to happen. We already got to share the gospel with two people through this custard job. And I was like, yeah, yeah, worship. You know, it's like serving God wherever you go, whoever, whoever you are, whatever venue you find yourself in, an avenue, a place, a venue of worship. Right? And, and glorifying God, and that certain mechanism of, of being a faithful witness. Uh, reminded me, when Elizabeth and I first got married, we moved to this place in Vancouver, Washington, and uh, we, we, we found a, a place, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, we found a place living in a senior center. Uh, there's all these elderly people that we were living with, and I think the manager thought, hey, they go to Bible college, they're not going to party, they're not going to stay up too late, <laughs> they can help watch the property, and it was kind of a neat thing, but we decided God placed us there for a reason, and so we went door to door and, you know, kind of introduced ourselves to our neighbors, and, uh, you know, it was like, what are we doing here with, with these people, you know, and uh, we went door to door, and we, we said, hey, we're drawn Elizabeth, you know, we, we're, here's who we are, and if they... Sometimes we got doors closed in our faces. Even old people can be grumpy and mean. You know, close the door in our face. But other times, hey, who are you? And other times we just, hey, can we pray for you kind of deal. And it was pretty cool because we, we were there. And, and who thought we'd ever live in a senior center as 20-year-olds, right? It was just crazy. And yet we were able to minister and, and share the gospel and share our faith. And it was a beautiful time because we were able to do ministry together. And, you know, that, that attitude of worship, that heart of worship, you can do it anywhere, in any place, any time. Uh, worship is this wonderful thing, and it comes in different ways. Over the last uh, several uh, weeks, we've been talking about uh, attitude of worship, acceptable worship. What does it look like? What does it mean? Several weeks ago, we looked at Exodus, and we saw covenantal worship. Uh, true worshipers, they worship God by being obedient to God's commandments. That's one way that worship plays out, being obedient to God's commandments. Right? And a few weeks ago, we talked about what is John 4 worship? Worship in spirit and in truth. What is spirit and truth worship? It's uh, heart worship by this Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. You know, we could do that anywhere, anytime, by the Spirit, Spirit-led worship through Jesus Christ and the means and the ways He's provided. Uh, and then last week, we talked about this metaphor of living sacrifices. This, what, how, what are true worshipers? What do they look like? Well, well, they worship God through their bodies. They're embodied worshipers. Wherever they go, they worship God in their person. That could be at work. That could be at Trinidad State College. That could be under, under a machine working, praising God through your bodily actions, right? And today we come to this, this, different, this different, different metaphor to describe worship of, of being these faithful witnesses. We're talking about priestly worship today. Did you know that God thinks of you as a priest in this world? Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 
4. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And the, you know, we're called to worship. What, is, what does worship look like? What is acceptable worship? Sometimes we make it just about singing and praise God. Great singing this morning. Exalting God through our voices. Exalting God through the lyrics of the song. Praising Him and lifting Him up. But worship isn't just singing. It's so much broader, so much wider. And we're all called to be worshipers in all the different places we find ourselves in the world. And, and today we're looking at it through this metaphor of priests of God. Uh, chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, and pause there with me for a moment. And so uh, Peter, if you've ever read Peter, he bounces around to different metaphors, different pictures of the Christian life. He's calling his, his readers in uh, eastern Turkey, modern-day eastern Turkey, uh, the provinces of, of Asia and Galatia and Bithynia and the different places like that. Uh, he's calling them to live for God, to glorify God, to worship God. And he, he, he brings forth this idea in, in verse 4. He's talked in verses 1 through 3 about uh, the Word of God, the feasting on the Word, be, growing up in the Word, and he shifts a little bit. As you come to Jesus, as you live life with Jesus, as you're walking with Jesus, as, as you worship Jesus, you're coming to Him as the living stone. He's in the Old Testament metaphor, uh, of the picture of a, a stone, a cornerstone or a capstone. Uh, the, the Old Testament scriptures, Psalm 118, and, uh, and, and the, the other ones listed here, um, this idea that there's God's doing a work through this Messiah, through this Lord, and He's building His, his kingdom through this, this cornerstone, the most important point of the building. And we, as we come to Him, as we, as we become worshipers through baptism and conversion, and, and we grow in Him, we're, we're being tied to Him as we're living stones. It's a great picture because as, as we come together, we're, we're forming this, this temple, this tabernacle. And again, going back to the Old Testament, remember, the glory of God was found in the tabernacle. The glory of God was found in the temple. That's where you met God in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And so it's, it, he's, he's taking this picture of the Old Testament worship where you met God in the glory, and he's saying, guess what? As you come to Jesus Christ, as you come to faith, and as you're born again, as you're made new, you become these living stones tied together to the living stone. And you become this house of worship, this spiritual temple. What, what a great image that the glory of God now doesn't dwell in a building or doesn't dwell in a temple. The glory of God now dwells in His people whom He's formed for Himself, His, his people that He's made for Himself, whom He's purchased with His own blood. He's brought together, and, and man, the imagery there, the, the metaphor, the metaphors that are used again and again to make us understand who we are. The house of God. It's not this building, these physical walls. It's us. Where two or three are gathered, therein is the Lord. And here we are, as people gathered in His name who have been brought into the kingdom of God, <clears throat> made alive. And now the Spirit dwells in us. The glory of God is here. It's, it's a wonderful picture, and there's so many of these corporate metaphors in the Bible. Uh, we live in an age where Christians, really people who love the Lord even, they're, they're anti-institutional. 
They say, I don't need the, the corporate church. I don't need the institutional church. I don't need to gather with people. I can do Christian, Christianity all on my own. And it's such a mistake. It's such foolishness. It's such ignorance. Because some of the metaphors are corporate metaphors. We're the body of Christ, meaning we're meant to be one people, functioning together with different spirits, uh, gift, spirit-given gifts. We're meant to be this people that are hanging together for the Lord's glory. They're to live in together, honoring Him by how we live, the, the body of Christ. This, this temple of the Holy Spirit is, is part of the, one of those metaphors that are, are so strong. Uh, we we uh, come together as, as, as a people, but notice that he continues the metaphor. He continues the picture of us as a spiritual house. Well, what happens in a spiritual house? In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant way of thinking, holy priests were ministers in the house of God. They, they were mediators between God and men. And Peter says, guess what? You are being built into a holy priesthood. Uh, these, these people living in, like I said, eastern Turkey, you know, a couple thousand years ago, they were persecuted. They were a minority. They were suffering. They were ridiculed. They were shamed. They were uh, run through the mud by, by the local people. They were seen as fools and idiots and, and they, all, all the different ways you can talk about it. First Peter is one of the most popular books of the Bible around the world in places where people are suffering uh, because he speaks so powerfully. Don't you know who you are? You, you, you've been called by God to be servants of God. You're a holy priesthood set apart for his purposes and his ends. You have a massive and important calling in the world. So what is a holy priesthood? <laughs> is, you know, we don't, we're not used to priests in, in, our, in our setting here. And as Protestants, we don't have priests over us. And, and really, it's an, old, it's an Old Testament thing. There's no, there's no room for priests anymore in the New Covenant, that there's this difference between peoples anymore. Like we're all on the same level under Jesus Christ. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. There's no, no, no more distinction between this holy, separate priesthood and lay people. <laughs> we're, we're not there anymore. But we have this corporate calling to be a holy priesthood. What does it mean? Well, go back to that metaphor, that picture in the Old Testament. What did priests do? What did priests accomplish? What was their mission? What was their calling? What was their purpose? Again, in the Old Testament, that, that holy place of the tabernacle, the temple, the glory of God was there. And you couldn't just approach God willy-nilly. <laughs> in the Old Testament, there was levels of holiness, as it were. And to get to God, you had to go through the priests. The priests mediated, as it were. So what they did was they, they brought the people to God. And, and it happened this way. The way that God mandated, the, God, the way God laid it out in the covenant, was that uh, say I sinned, and I, I recognized my sin, and it was a heinous sin, and it, it was something that violated God's covenant. So God created a mechanism where I could go to the temple, or in the older days, the tabernacle, the tent. And the priest would meet me, but I'd bring my animal, I'd bring my goat or my lamb or my, my, my dove, and, and I'd, I'd, I'd lay my hands on that animal, and I'd, I'd slaughter it. And there would be a mechanism where they'd, they'd catch the blood, and the blood would be taken to the altar that God had set up, had given instructions to build. They, they built an altar in front of the tabernacle. They built an altar in the temple courts. And the altar, the priest would take that blood that now represents me. I laid my hands on an animal. That animal is slaughtered in my place. So, so it's transferred. My sin is transferred to that animal. And so the priest would take the blood and sprinkle it on the altar as proof that a death had occurred. 
Without the shedding of blood, as Hebrews said, there's no forgiveness of sin. So the shedding of blood, it was shown to God by sprinkling that blood on the altar. And so the priest would represent me by taking the blood before God, and then he'd come back to me, and he, he'd, he'd tell me that my sins are atoned for. The blood is taken away. The, a life has been given in a place of your sin. So you don't have to die anymore because something has died in your place. So a great foreshadowing, a great picturing of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, an ultimate sacrifice, a, a finished, completed sacrifice, no more need for any sacrifices anymore. But that, that picture, the priests would do that. They'd represent me before God, but they'd also represent God to the people. I don't know if you understand or not or realize or not, but a huge mission of the priesthood in the Old Testament, the Levitical priest, was to teach the law. You can read through the Old Testament, the, the Pentateuch, and again, again and again, the priests are meant to bring the law of God to the people. The priests are meant to bring God's teachings before the people, to teach not only his, his stipulations, his precepts, his principles, the, the Ten Commandments down to the case laws, but to real, reveal to the people who God was, what he was like. They had a teaching function. Okay? So uh, you read some of the prophetic literature in the, in the Bible, and oftentimes uh, as Israel drifted away from obedience, right, Part of the reason they drifted away from obedience is the priesthood did not fulfill their job of teaching. The priesthood did not bring the truth before the people, and the people became ignorant of God. They didn't have their own Bibles at home. They didn't, they didn't listen to podcasts. They didn't have access to all the wonderful resources we have today. Incredible amount of resources. We are without excuse if we don't know the Word of God today. If we don't know God's teaching. We don't know who God is. We're just living this abundance, this abundance of revelation today. And if we are ignorant of God's word, it's, it's on us. But in the old days, it was on the priests because they were the teachers. So here's this, this, this picture of a holy priesthood. And so same thing in many ways, but what's emphasized here in the priesthood is this witnessing component, this proclaiming component, this teaching component. We are the representatives of God in this dispensation. We're the representatives of God in this age, in this time. We've come to know God through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit. And we have the Word of God, and our calling is to be this priesthood that now makes known to the world who God is. Or that's our mission, that's our calling. And it comes in, again, different metaphors of being ambassadors, being witnesses, being teachers, being revealers of the truth. Uh, holy, holy priests. <laughs> uh, part of our witness is our holiness. Even, it, it, it's not, uh, not going to be on the overhead, but even the chapter before, uh, quoting from Leviticus, Peter says, but as you, in verse 15 of chapter 1, but as he who called you is holy, you also should be holy in all your conduct. So as, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Uh, so God has, God, you know, in our, in our justification, he's declared us righteous, he's set us apart as righteous and holy. Positionally, we have been made holy. But we've been given the task of becoming holy. We've been given the calling to become like Jesus in our holiness through this life, through the months, the years as they pass. The idea is we're becoming more and more holy as God is holy. He's our model. He, Jesus is our, is our, is, is our paradigm. He's, he's the way we should look. He's the way we should become over this life. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and if we're His, if we're His people, we're His sons and daughters the family of God, we should be holy as he is holy. So, so be distinct as I am distinct. Be different as I am different, God told Israel. And the same message comes to us. Part of our witness 
is to be faithful witnesses, holy witnesses. Like we're distinct. We're the, the medium is the message is, is a book I had to read once in seminary. Oh, a terrible book in many ways. But it got, the medium is the message. We're the message. If we are unholy, if we're unholy, then we're, we're sending a message that God is unholy or that our God is not holy or doesn't care about holiness. So a holy priesthood, we bring the truth of God to people. But we, it's not just our lips that say these things. It's our lives that say these things in this way and that way. So the, this calling to worship, a holy, priest, a holy priesthood worship, what, what does it look like? What, what does it mean? Uh, it says here in verse 5, Yourselves, like living stones, are being built up to, as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To what? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the, the picture is being carried on, the metaphor is being carried on, that we are to offer spiritual sacrifices. We, we don't slaughter animals anymore as, as our means of worship or our means of ministry. We offer spiritual sacrifices. What are they? What do they look like? Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 7. And th these are, it's a broad list. It's a, it's a wild. It's uh, in the spirit of God. So many things could be spiritual sacrifices. Let me just give you a few pictures of it, what it means, and, and maybe how you could live out your priestly ministry. Uh, verse 7, chapter 4. The end of all things is at hand. And, <laughs> uh, man, that seems to be more and more apparent. Right, right, John, as we go on, it seems that John and I talk a lot about this. It seems like crazy times. Uh, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Uh, be a person of prayer. That's a spiritual sacrifice. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sin. Be, be a lover of people, in other words. That's a spiritual sacrifice. That, that guy at the office that just drives you nuts, if you serve him in love, that's a sacrifice of worship, a spiritual sacrifice. Sacrifice. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Open your homes, open your apartments, open your car, be hospitable to people. That's a spiritual sacrifice and a means of worship to God. Hospitality, uh, meeting people and ministering to them in, in a variety of ways. As each of you have received a gift, use it to serve one another as a good steward of, of God's very grace. The amazing thing, God's given us spiritual gifts. He's given us spiritual anointings, anointings of power that are meant to be used to bless others. And so if we're not using our spiritual gifts, we're not working in the mode of the body of Christ, of the family of God. We're meant to edify others, build others up, serve others, bless others. It's a sacrifice when we serve others. And we've been anointed and empowered to do so with our spiritual gifts. It doesn't have to happen in the church. It doesn't have to happen on Sunday mornings. It can happen in different settings. We're meant to serve others. That's a spiritual sacrifice, an offering to God, an act of worship. Lord, these people, I've, I'm so busy and I'm so out of control of these things, but this person right here needs what I have to offer, what you've given me, my experiences, my, my talents, my time, my energy, the spiritual gift you've given me to pray for them or to, to have faith with them or whatever, I serve it, I give it to you. Whoever speaks, whoever is the one who speaks the oracle to God, whoever serves is one who serves the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. This is worship. Worship is response to what God has done in our lives. Worship is response to what has happened to us. And then we respond by offering back to God spiritual sacrifices. It, it, it comes in, in a lot of different ways. If you look at Hebrews chapter 13, just a few 
pages previous, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, uh, the author of Hebrews spells it out in a, in a pretty tight way. What are spiritual sacrifices? Uh, verse 15 of chapter 13 of Hebrews. Through him, that's through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we have lips and lives there, as it were. Uh, we, the, the, our heart, as we worship God, as, as God has blessed us and, and we see who he is and how great he is, our response is to use our lips, use our mouths to praise him, to glorify him, to honor. The fruit of a, a heart that's been changed, a heart that loves God, has been loved by God, is to praise him with our lips. But it doesn't stop there. We're supposed to do good to share what you have. And, sir, and so, boy, entering this winter with prices going up and inflation going sky high, we might have some neighbors that might need some help. And a spiritual sacrifice can be a very tangible way of maybe they need a little firewood. Maybe, maybe they need a little extra food. Maybe their kids need some clothing or something like that. Maybe they need a little gas money or we, we could carpool a little bit to help them out. These are spiritual sacrifices because they're done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're done in worship. And, and that's hard for us sometimes because we have a, even in this rich country, this incredibly wealthy country, we have this scarcity mentality that we live by. Oh, I can't spend there. I can't do too much there. I can't help. But you can through God because he provides the resources we need to bless others and serve others. Everything we have comes from him, and we can use it for his glory and his fame and his honor. Uh, back in Hebrews, just, just another example, Paul talked about himself as a priest. Uh, Hebrews 15, verse 15. Hebrews 15, verse 15. Uh, it says, but, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by the way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, Paul knows he's graced, and we've all been graced. We've all been put in positions to serve and bless God and, and honor God and glorify God. He, he's graced me to be a minister, Paul says, of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So what he ima imagines, he imagines one day when he meets Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ comes back, he, ima he, he imagines laying before Almighty God all, all the Gentiles who have come to faith, all the worshipers that have arrived through the gospel. He imagines, hey, through my priestly service of preaching the gospel, I hope one day to give this gift back to God and look, God, here's all your worshipers. But he calls it a priestly service, a, a, a witnessing service, a, a faithful witness, a holy priesthood to God. And of course, uh, you know, we, we talked about last week, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Um, a, a living sacrifice, our, our bodies, the, the place where we worship, we, we worship wherever we go, where we can worship, we can serve him through our, our, our serving of others, through our bodies, our hands, our feet. Right? It's not just the lips, it's our, it's our bodies. We, we can help somebody physically or material or whatever. And, and I, I neglected to mention last week as we talked about it that if you want to know what that looks like, read chapters 12 through 15 because after Paul goes through this section of chapters 12 verses 1 through 2, then he gives all kinds of examples for three chapters of what it looks like <laughs> to be a living sacrifice. 
Right? So, so a living sacrifice in, in the Hebrews, in, in a second, uh, first Peter, in first Peter, what, our, our passage for today, he says, man, offer your bodies, give yourselves like these living stones, a spiritual house as a holy priesthood, offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's worship. Uh, boy, if we start looking for opportunities to worship, we start looking for opportunities to serve, we start looking for opportunities to bring sacrifices to God, you'll find them all day long. Wherever you are, whoever you're with, if you have this worship mentality of serving people and serving God, if you start thinking about it and looking for it and practicing it, man, it becomes a habit. And some of you are so good at it. Some of you are so kind to people. You're so, you give compliments to people so freely. You, you bless people. You pray through the day. You, you, you help them physically. These are unto Jesus. They're beautiful, beautiful works. Don't stop. Start living more and more, however, intentionally as is a priesthood that offers spiritual sacrifices unto the Lord, for he is worthy of it all. If you jump down, we're going to skip verses 6 through 8 because he, he really goes in. Peter shifts again, and he talks more about that living house, that, that, how we've come to the living stone. But then he goes back in verse 9, he, starts, he, he comes back to the priesthood idea. Chapter 1, verse 2, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's you. That's us as a church. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Positively, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It's all about the glory of God. Again and again and again, Peter's saying, man, glorify God this way and that way and every way. Because he's worthy. That's our purpose in life. We've been saved to worship God. We've been saved to glorify God. <laughs> what are you here for? To make money? No. What are you here for? To, to build kingdoms and have treasures, earthly treasures that rot, that people steal? No. Our calling is to worship God, to glorify God. That's what we're here for. And pa Peter makes a big deal of whatever we do. is It's unto the glory of God. But look at that. Uh, he, uh, if you're familiar with the Old Testament and Again, three weeks ago, we hit this pretty hard about uh, in Exodus. God brought Israel out of Egypt. He saved them, and then he gave them a calling. He brought them to the mountain. He said, man, I've saved you for myself. You're my treasure possession. If you want to be my kingdom of priests, you can be. If you want to be a holy nation, a set-apart nation for my glory, you can be. And then he gave them his covenant. He gave, this is how I want you to live. And so Peter's saying, Hey, these Old Testament titles from Isaiah 43 and from Exodus 19, royal chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Guess what? The, 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 in the Old Covenant, that applied to Israel, but now it applies to the church. In this dispensation, in this age, now through Jesus Christ, we are that treasured possession. We are that set-apart nation that goes beyond any international boundary. We, we are these holy priests. We're... We're called to be these servants of God, glorifying and honor God. And what a, what, a, what a privilege. 
that you would be God's people. Again, going back to John and, and Luke talking about how awesome God is, that he would call us his people, set apart from all the nations and all the peoples of the world as his people. If you ponder that, if you just meditate on that a little bit, you know, ruminate on that for a while, wow. Sometimes we get our worth and our value from our degrees or our accomplishments. <laughs> our worth comes from who we are in Jesus Christ. Who we are, who God says we are, is what really matters. That's where our worth and value comes from. But he says to these people, um, he's made you this way. For what end? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. <clears throat> uh, next week, we hope to have a time during the service where we pass the microphone around to let people give praises to God. And I hope you think as you worship this week, right? The idea of coming to worship services is that this isn't something new to you, like you've worshiped all week and we come here to meet God. And so next week, we're going to have a time where we pass around the microphone to give people opportunity to sing the praises, declare the excellencies of how they've experienced God in their own life. So I pray that you'll think about this week and what kind of offering you want to bring next week as we gather and worship again. But declaring His excellencies, declaring the praises of God. Man, He's done great things for us, hasn't He? He's done wonderful things for us. Sometimes we get so busy and we get so chaotic in our life, we forget. We, we get moving so fast, we forget that God did that, that God protected me from that, God delivered there, God provided there, and, and let alone our salvation let alone our, our becoming part of the family of God forever, living in the house of God forever. Wow, these promises that have been given, it's incredible. So our, our job as these holy priests, these faithful witnesses, is to live this life declaring the praises of God, declaring the excellencies of God. And again, this is a habit thing that comes about. This is something we practice. If you've been at the same job for 20 years and nobody knows that you're a worshiper of God, something's wrong. As you live with people, as you interact with people, they should know where your bread is buttered, so to speak. They should know what drives your heart. You, they should know what you are living for, and they should know what you're praising God for. Man, that, that, that you're witnessing in, in a real way because God has done so much. How could they not know that I love Him, that I, He's my treasure, He's my joy? It comes out in, in our life as we live. And there's so many opportunities, again, to live this way. We get trapped in the world's thinking. We get trapped in the, in <laughs> the world's ideals. And, and psh, no, we're called to be these holy priests offering these praises to God of His excellencies. Again, words of our lips, but again, we live these things out. Uh, what has God done for us? He's called us out of darkness. He's called us out of darkness into His wonderful, wonderful light. It's an incredible thing to think about what God has done. The way that uh, Paul says it in Colossians 1.13, he, he says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Darkness, like hopelessness, like lostness, like I, I'm not seeing the truth, I'm, I'm in ignorance. All the different metaphors for what it means to be in darkness are implied there. He's brought us into the light. He's opened our eyes so we can see the truth. He's opened our eyes so we don't have to live in shame and sorrow and guilt. He's brought us into His light. He's illumined us. He's brought forth holiness, 
all the different thinkings there, but, but sometimes we live as if he hasn't. Sometimes we don't live as worshipers. Sometimes we don't live as these witnesses where we, we complain about everything and we, we're acting like every, everybody else that are, are just dwelling in hopelessness or fear or anxiety all the time. And man, Paul's saying your, your spiritual sacrifice, you've been set up as a holy priesthood to be these witnesses to the world of the greatness of God and what he's done for you. Once you were not a people, but now you are people. Once you had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. Oh, isn't that wonderful? What, what is mercy? Mercy is God's goodness given to people in distress and in hurtful situations. It's his goodness expressed to people that are down and in dark places that can't set themselves free. Last week we talked about in view of the mercies of God. The Apostle Paul for 11 chapters in the book of Romans described the mercies of God. How God took us out of our slavery, out of our darkness, out of our lostness, out of, our, of being enemies from God. And he saved us. A picture of mercy, there's so many different pictures of mercy. Uh, uh, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, let me just to give you a picture of this, just so you'll grasp again what God has done for us. It's, it's, a, it's a physical, concrete picture. Mark 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a, in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar. So in that day, to be blind was almost a death sentence because you couldn't provide for yourself. There was no social security. There was no government subsidies. There was no food stamps. If you're blind, you become a beggar, and it's a rather hopeless situation. The son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In other words, rescue me from my brokenness. Rescue me from my desperate situation. Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. And so we, we take that and we extrapolate that outward. How merciful has God been to us who are blind in our sins, dead in our sins and trespasses, who had no hope. For the devil was our leader, <laughs> enslaved by the lies of the world, the, the, the hatreds of, the, of, the, of Satan, the hatreds of, of fallen culture. God had mercy on him. He rescued us from our distress. When we called on the name of Jesus, when we cried out to Jesus, have mercy on me, I can't save myself, I'm a sinner, I have no hope. What did he do? He pulled us out of the pit. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Wow, we weren't a people. We, were, we needed mercy. He's given mercy. How blessed we are. How blessed we are. And, and see, why, why does Peter tell us that? Because worship is response. And if you, don't, if, 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 you're not, if you haven't been rescued, why would you worship? If you, haven't, if you haven't been forgiven of your sins, why would you worship? If you haven't been given the promise of eternal life, why would you worship? But we've been given that. We've received those things. We've received those promises. We've been made new. We've been born again. And so our, our natural response to what God has done is to worship. He's brought us out of darkness. He's given us mercy. Therefore, declare those excellencies of God. Therefore, lift God up before the world, for he is worthy. And, and so then, then in verse 11 and 12, he uh, we get into this idea of faithful 
witnesses, holy witnesses. What does it look like? Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Pause there just for a second, because this idea of who are we now? Uh, yeah, maybe you have a, a maybe you have a dual citizenry, you know, and maybe you're a citizen of Mexico, a citizen of America. I don't know how that works. Maybe you got maybe you got citizenry here. It's great, wonderful to have citizenry. But really, now that we're Christians, now that we we are in the family of God, have an eternal home, we are to think of ourselves as temporary residents here. Uh, we're, we're not to think of this as our home anymore. We are passing through. We are to think of ourselves as aliens, strangers here. And so we don't conform to this culture. We don't, we don't put our roots down, so to speak, in this place as if this were our home. We might be here for 70 or 80 years, praise God, but in the light of eternity, that's just, that's just passing through, man. That's just a, a blip on the radar. That's just, we're just a vapor here. This isn't our home, so we conform ourselves to that home, to the heavenly home, to the kingdom of God that will dwell forever and ever and ever. That's not, so what do we do here? Man, there's so many things calling us in this world right now. Uh, these, these fleshly lusts. You know, the, every commercial that comes on saying, put your roots down here. Every commercial that comes on saying, buy into this, own this, this is life. Man, if you could only have that vacation home, that would be life. If you only have that four by four for telepunting, that would be life. If you only had this or that, that would be life. And these fleshly lusts come against us. But the way Peter talks about, they war against your soul. You're, there's war going on. Satan would like to use the world to pull you away from the worship of God. Satan would like to use the world to pull you away from truth, from righteousness, from holiness. He'd like you to stop worshiping the Father of all. And so these... These, these situations in these world, these circumstances we find ourselves in, we're called to abstain from fleshly lusts. It's a, it's a, way of, a negative way of saying, don't go there. Don't live that way. You're worshipers now. You're part of the kingdom of God. No more should you walk in those patterns. No more should, should live like the world. Don't be conformed to the world. Be conformed to the kingdom of God, to Jesus Christ. That's what we should be conformed to. And then, then he says in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So it's a positive way of saying it. Um, so, that you may, so that when they speak against you as evildoers. Now, what's going on there? They speak, so, so hey, uh, you know, I'm working at the custard shop and there's an opportunity to steal some money from the boss. Um, when, I, when I abstain from that, when I refuse to be a thief... My coworkers might say, hey, we've been, we've been running this scam for a long time. Who do you think you are for being holy? Who do you think you are for being righteous? <laughs> right? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be righteous in all I do. That's my game. That's my end goal, to glorify Him and honor Him. But, man, when you do that in the world, depending on how far you go and how, where you are, uh, they speak of you as an evildoer. You're hated. You're, you're destroyed. You're, 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 you're not part of the family. You're not part of the crew anymore. You're, you're distinct in a bad way in their minds. But keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The idea is, is that we, as we witness, 
living holy lives before the people, as we witness living godly lives before ungodly people, they are getting a witness through our mouth, through our, through our proclamation, what we believe, the truth that we speak about the gospel, but they're, always, they're also seeing our life. They're also seeing the way we live, which is a testimony to God, a glory to God. This is how kingdom people live. This is how God wants us to live. We don't steal. We don't rip off. We don't tell lies. We don't do all the stuff that the world does. And the hope is, Peter says, that they're going to come to Christ through our witness. They're going to come to God through our witness. They're going to be transformed. When they come to God, the Holy Spirit comes in. They're given new life, and they start living differently. So when Jesus Christ comes... They're going to be worshipers. They're going to be glorifiers of God, and they will be, instead of the wrath of God being poured out on the world at the end and them being a part of that, now they're brought into the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever. Worship matters. So, brothers and sisters, how do we worship? What does it mean? What's acceptable worship? What, what, what does worship look like? We're called to be faithful in the holiness and what it, uh, we, 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 we don't give in to the loyalties of the world. We, we, we don't cave in. We don't compromise. We, we don't assimilate into the world. We're faithful to God and Jesus Christ. If you want to read more about that, read Revelation chapter 1 and 2. Because in Revelation 1, the church is called, God, is, it says that Jesus made us priests. And then chapter 2 and 3, the seven letters to the seven churches all the ways that Jesus talks to them about not compromising. Be an overcomer. Be a conqueror. Don't give in to the world's ways. Don't live by the world's standards. Uh, faithful witnesses. Let our lives be lives of worship, witnessing to God that priestly teaching, that pre priestly ambassadorship, that priestly telling others of God, speaking the glory of God. But let us be faithful Holy people therein, because our, 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 our testimony of our mouth should match the testimony of our lives. And God gets the glory. We call this worship. Let us worship the Lord God Almighty, for He is worthy. Would you please stand in the Lord's presence? And let's, uh, we haven't done this in a while, let's uh, sing the doxology together. It's not going to be up on the screen, but you know it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly in the power unto God's glory. Amen. Thank you for coming today.